Well, hey there, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Primate Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. Before we get to today's episode, uh, which I think that you will enjoy, uh, today we're going to be talking about a, a topic uh, near and dear to my heart, men's health, um, in a new segment I'm calling To Send or Not To Send, uh, um, or When To Send. I haven't decided yet. I think both are good. Um but before we do that, we're hitting up the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox uh, for an email today. And an email today, I think, is is quite interesting, actually. Uh, this is an email from a spam uh, website uh, called Pod Status. Uh, do, not, do not go to the website. I don't even know if they'll give you viruses or not. Um, but it lets you know your podcast ranking in different countries. And as you know, the Primary Care Podcast is uh, a, a, a medicine-based podcast. Uh, so it gives me different ranks in different countries. For example, I'm 94th in New Zealand in the month of December. In, uh, in Finland, I am 38th. Uh, I have the 38th. Uh, this podcast is the 38th most listened to. Uh, I'm 24th. Uh, this is 24th in uh, Korea, the Republic of Korea, South Korea, that is. Um, maybe that's the People's Republic of North Korea. I don't know. I, I don't know if they have podcasting a database. Uh, if so, uh, hello to North Koreans uh, listening to the podcast. But I, I, the Primary Care Podcast uh, is actually the sixth most popular medicine-based podcast in the country of Slovakia. So all my Slovak uh, listeners out there, uh, thank you. Ohoče. Uh, uh, Preteli, J. Tovas, Chalapak, Lakar, Mark List, Mam Pri Tiba, the tip. For those of you who don't speak Slovak, uh, I said, Hello, friends, it's your boy, Dr. Mark List. I have a joke for you. Okay, so this is the best Slovak joke I could find on the internet. What did the Slovak chess player say when he won the match? Checkmate. Bob, start the pod. Primary Care Podcast is written and by a family physician from audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back, uh, pod boys, pod girls, pod people, to the Primary Care Pod. It is your boy, Dr. Mark List, back at you with another episode today. Uh, and this is a, a segment I think I'm going to uh, stick on and call When to Send. You know, this is a podcast for primary care providers, not only MDs, DOs, but also nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, mid-level providers. And, and, and this is a topic that I want to bring up, recent guidelines, 2020, the American Urology Association guidelines for how to deal with microhematuria. And I think this is a really important topic because I've had partners ask me these questions. I've had patients ask me questions, uh, you know, really common. I do a lot of men's health. I do a lot of old man medicine. Um, and, and one of the things I see a lot is people who come in because they're nervous. They saw blood in their urine. Um, so again, a, a good topic to start at is very, very common in primary care, makes up a big chunk of our visits. Um, and, and, you know, obviously this workup we're going to get into, what everyone is afraid of is, especially when they're an old guy and they, they Google, why is there blood in my urine? They say, oh my God, it's bladder cancer. I'm going to die. Help me. And they come in. And this 
new guideline is really supposed to be a pretty smooth algorithm about what to do when you are presented with a case like this, right? When to send this patient when they need specialist referral, who needs specialist referrals, and what you can do in the meantime, and then when you need to know uh, how to hand this over. So uh, before we start, again, a recent guideline change here in the last month or two, um, I'm using the American, uh, the American Urology Association. I really like the European uh, guidelines as well. I think they do really good work uh, as well, but uh, we're going to use this for today's discussion. So obviously we've all seen um, cases of hematuria in primary care clinics, but how common is it? Uh, according to this article, uh, according to this you know, updated guideline, if you just pull healthy screening volunteers from a random segment of the adult population, the prevalence of microscopic hematuria is actually about 6.5%. So if you get a UA for any reason, whether it's for a pre-op or for symptoms or uh, for whatever reason, you're going to have a significant number of people who just have microscopic hematuria. And a lot of those cases uh, are, you know, congenital or acquired anatomic abnormalities that cause, you know, asymptomatic uh, benign he uh, hematuria. Um, and again, nothing to be concerned about, uh, shouldn't cause any issues. And what are the other types of things on the differential? Obviously, you know, like I said, some people will just have blood in their urine. That's just how they were made uh, with their congenital abnormalities uh, or, or other, you know, genetic disorders. But stone disease, right? Kidney stones, super common, even, you know, not even coming down all the way, but really, really common cause of blood in the urine. Um, BPH can certainly cause blood in the urine. That's, that's definitely uh, something that happens. Bladder infection, uh, other types of urogenital infections can cause blood in the urine. Um, really common, especially in female patients who present with hematuria. Uh, urogynecological infection, super common. Any inflammation, whether it be pelvic inflammatory disease or any inflammation of anywhere in the GU uh, or, you know, in the general urinary tract, super duper common as well. In fact, only 3% of cases of microscopic hematuria actually end up malignancy, uh, wind up being malignant. But I think that's important because 3% is still a big number, especially given how common microscopic hematuria is. So, you know, there's there's a wide range of practice, depends on where you are, about what to do about this. And so this article really is supposed to stratify, stratify, ha, uh, really stratify who is at risk, who's low risk, who's intermediate risk, who's intermediate risk, and who's high risk, okay? So uh, let me pull up the article here. But the low-risk patients that we're talking about, people who, if you see them for microscopic hematuria, they are low-risk, okay? And that is women under age 50, men under age 40. Again, men have a lot higher rates of uh, risk, rates of bladder cancer, so uh, 40 under for men, 50 and under for women, okay? And they're never smoker or less than 10-pack year history, and three red blood cells per high-powered field on one UA with no other additional risk factors for urothelial carcinoma. And what are those risk factors? Again, 
age, uh, older, uh, older than 50 for sure, uh, for women older than 60, uh, older for 40 for men, uh, smoking, male sex, uh, heavy microhematuria, um, and additional risk factors, uh, irritative lower urinary tract symptoms. Okay, so, uh, you know, bladder infection type symptoms, but uh, no clear uh, infection on UA. History of certain chemotherapies, family history, uh, family history of uh, bladder cancers, a family history of Lynch syndrome, uh, or exposures chronically, uh, occupationally to benzene chemicals or aromic, aromatic amines, uh, or somebody who has chronic indwelling fully catheters or any kind of foreign body in the bladder that can cause chronic irritation. Those are all risk factors uh, for, for bladder cancer. Now, it's important to note that if you have a patient with microscopic hematuria, you do not need to be concerned until there are three RBCs per high power field. So trace. Uh, oh, and by the way, this is a case where if you're in a small town, if you're in a rural community, uh, a dip does not count. A positive uh, a positive dip for, for hemoglobin doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You need to get the microscopic evaluation. So in this case, uh, a lot of cases, uh, I know they have a dip. And it reflexes only to microscopic to save their lab and to save their uh, uh, tech some time or to save the patient some money. Um, but if you are looking for, you know, a workup, uh, a dip doesn't matter. You, you can't use a dip. You have to get the microscopic. And if, again, uh, you know, trace or uh, one, zero to two, doesn't matter. It, nothing to worry about. Look for a different cause. Nothing to be concerned about in terms of cancer. And no further evaluation needed in terms of uh, cancer uh, screening. Now, you go then looking for infection or inflammation or stone disease or BPH or those other things we discussed. Um, and then you try to, if you can treat it, you treat it. Otherwise, you have a repeat urinalysis. When do you repeat the urinalysis? It is nebulous, right? There is no clear defined reason, but over the, you know, you should let it clear, try a couple of weeks, you know, fix whatever the problem is, and then bring them back, right? Uh, so there is no clear, like, you know, it's time. I've heard anywhere from two to six weeks. You bring them back, make sure the UA is clear. UA clear, you're done, release from care. But hematuria continues. So you looked for a cause, you didn't find a cause, or you thought you had the cause, you treated the cause. Uh, let's say there was, you know, hematuria, and you're like, oh, okay, it's a bladder infection but you treat the bladder infection and it doesn't get better, right? You treat the stone disease, the person passes the stone, but the hematuria is still there, okay? So if then, if they have that repeat UA, then they've got to go on to further risk stratification, okay? Now, uh, if you can't get this to clear, right, and they're low risk, you, you have a shared decision, okay? So low risk, we talked about this, you know, women under 50, men under 40, not a smoker or under 10, you pack your history, okay? You can have a conversation. You can say, okay, you know, this isn't clearing like we think it should with our second, you know, UA. So here's here's where you have that conversation. You say, if you're really nervous about this, let's get a renal ultrasound, okay? Renal ultrasound being the next, uh, being the next source. And we should consider doing a cystoscopy. Okay. Uh, some people would rather do the renal ultrasound, very, very benign, uh, very non-invasive. Cystoscopy, a lot more invasive, a lot more, uh, you know, then you get the specialists involved. Or that's the aggressive path. The conservative path is wait six whole months 
and repeat to your analysis. Okay, let it clear whatever the case may be. See in six months if it's better. If you have a repeat negative UA, you're done. Consider it back in 12 months, but otherwise they're done. Okay, now intermediate risk people, okay, intermediate risk people are women 50 to 60, men 40 to 50, sorry, uh, women 50 to 60, men 40 to 60, and uh, or, or they have a heavy smoking history, okay? So 10 to, 10 to 30 pack years of, of smoking is considered intermediate risk. A lot more RBCs on high-powered fuels, so greater than 10, okay? And they could have any of those risk factors like family history. So family history of cancer, uh, they've been on certain um, chemotherapeutic agents that increase risk for bladder cancer, and they have this UA that is not clearing, right? Then you don't get to wait six months, okay? There is no conservative option in this. Then you go straight to renal ultrasound and probable cystoscopy, okay? Now, now, if you are in an area, right? If you are an area who doesn't have access to a cystoscopy right away, you don't have a urologist, uh, you can consider, right, uh, urography and retrograde pilograms, Okay. If you have a negative ultrasound and you can't get a cystoscopy, right? So those are that's an option too. Okay. Now, who's high risk? Who's high risk? High risk is anybody older than 60. Okay. Anybody older than 60. Anybody with a greater than 30 pack year history of smoking. So again, that's usually older people, but you know, you could be a 45-year-old man, 48-year-old man, have a 30 pack year history of smoking if you're a heavy, heavy, heavy smoker. Um, and that puts you immediately in the high risk. Okay. If any of these people on repeat, again, second UA, okay, you've already repeated the UA, second UA of greater than 25 RBCs, okay, in high-powered field, or a previous history of gross hematuria, and now this is the second one, okay, you should go for cystoscopy and probably a CT, CT urogram, Okay. You could also, if you don't have a CT or non-contrast imaging, um, if you're if you have contractions to get a CT with with dye, a non-contrast imaging is probably okay with retrograde pilograms, but an MR, an, like an MRI, urogram. Now, in that case, if they're high risk, that is something you're probably not even going to order. You're probably not even going to order the renal ultrasound. You're not even going to order the CT scan. It's it's send, right? High risk patient. There's no clear other cause, right? The, the clear other cause for that repeat UA, right? You clear the UA, repeat the UA. Oh, it's still there. You send them, right? So when to send? High-risk people, they go. Who are those people? Older than 60, greater than 30-pack year history of smoking, greater than 25 RBCs on, on a UA, right? You send them, right? Uh, you get the CT scan, you get the cystoscopy. Uh, that intermediate risk, again, renal ultrasound, plus or minus, probably a cystoscopy as well, especially on a repeat UA, Okay. Now, now, how do you, as a primary care provider who might not have great access to a, you know, a urologist handle this, they don't recommend on any of the guidelines doing any of the bladder cancer antigen, antigen, I've seen urine cytology, right, um, but basically, no urinary markers, including urine cytology, 
should be used in the initial evaluation of patients with microhematuria. Okay. For persistent microhematuria who have already seen urology, then maybe you get the urine cytology to look for carcinoma in situ. Okay. But from a primary care standpoint, that's only if somebody's been seeing a urologist, urology sent them away, said, hey, you don't have bladder cancer, your cystoscopy is negative, but the patient's still having persistent hematuria and has some irritated voiding symptoms and keeps coming back with persistent hematuria, then maybe you consider urine cytology. But don't order urine cytology. Don't order any urine cancer markers, nothing like that, in the initial workup, right? Go, right? Now, if a patient has a negative workup, can't find the source, they've had their CT, they've had their ultrasound, they've seen the urologist, they've got the cystoscopy, you can order a repeat UA in 12 months according to the guidelines. Okay, But at some point, if you have a negative workup and you have a negative, you know, the, the, the blood goes away, they can discontinue permanently, right? But if they continue to have persistent or current microhematuria, then you have to have that really awkward talk about like, do we keep working this up? Do we keep sending you back to urology? Do we have them check you up once a year? Do we keep looking for bladder cancer? Because the data is really not there. Again, is this some other disease? Is there something else causing this persistent hematuria, this recurrent hematuria? Or again, if you're high risk, you have to weigh the risks and the benefits. So clearly you can do a lot of this initial workup on your own. You can have these conversations with low-risk people that, you know, let's wait six months, see if this clears on its on your own. Again, you're super low risk. Maybe, maybe in those intermittent people, you jumped right away to the renal ultrasound. Even in your low-risk people, again, part of the guideline says share decision-making, renal ultrasound, very appropriate. If you have great access, even in your own clinic, if you're somebody that performs cystoscopy, great. I don't think many uh, primary care providers do that. Um, but, you know, if you have free access to urology in your, in your location, uh, if it's not hard to get into them, you know, uh, for those intermediate high-risk people, for those people who are just, you know, shared decision-making and they say, no, let's be aggressive. Let's, let's go on this workup. Let's try and find things. Go, go ahead and, and get them, uh, get them uh, sent over. Uh, so know when to send for persistent hematuria uh, in patients. Um, hopefully this topic was helpful. Uh, hopefully you got a little bit of uh, update on the guidelines. Hopefully you feel more comfortable dealing with that uh, hematuria diagnosis in your own clinic patients. Um, and hopefully my, uh, my, my listeners in Slovakia uh, appreciate uh, the, the Czech Republic joke. Um, uh, I, I appreciate everybody listening. A reminder, this has been Dr. Mark List. Uh, any questions, any concerns, please feel free to send them to me at the primary care pod at gmail.com. Uh, love hearing your feedback. Appreciate it. Um, and reminder, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thank you. Have a great week and have a, a Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays wherever you may be celebrating from. Thank you.